Hey gang, uh, welcome to version two of Breaking Change. Uh, I'm your host returning for a second consecutive episode, Justin Searles. It's good to, good to see you. Good to hear you. Good to be heard. Uh, yeah, version one uh, uh, of this podcast was a lot of fun. Uh, turns out that guy who made a career off talking too much about himself enjoys talking about himself too much in front of a microphone, even by himself. Uh, so, you know, we've all got stuff to work through. And, and one way that I'm working through that is by just leaning in hard. And uh, I've got more to talk about because life comes at you fast. This is version two of Breaking Change. And today's breaking version, Breaking Change, is the Apple Vision Pro their media guidelines say that you have to say Apple Vision Pro. You can't just say Vision Pro because there's going to be a vision sooner or later and vision as a noun. You know, like we say Apple Watch, right? If you just called it watch, that would look, that sound weird. So because they're starting, anyway, the Apple Vision Pro, as the media guidelines tell us to use us because I am in the media, because I have a podcast. And the, 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 that is the ridiculous world that we live in where nothing matters, and uh, I'm, I'm so glad that you're spending some of that time with me uh, of, of that not mattering time. So Vision Apple, mm, already Apple Vision Pro pre-orders went live this morning at 8 a.m. Eastern and 5 a.m. Pacific, uh, which, you know, yet another piece of evidence that East Coast is Beast Coast. You know, I don't I know a lot of people in the West Coast love to call it the best coast, but if you work in IT or you're in a remote team and you've got colleagues on one or the other coast, uh, I've worked as a consultant, even like long-term travel, not so much Pacific time, but more mountain time where everyone was up really early in East coast time. It meant that if I woke up and I got to work even at 7am local time, the world was already on fire because everyone else was already causing all kinds of chaos. And then they, they'd punch out two to three hours before the end of my day. And I'd have to clean up all their messes. So I don't really see the appeal, to be honest. Uh, maybe that's why <laughs> so many of these tech executives want the return to office, because they, they experience the same thing. So if you want to have a successful career in IT, my first piece of advice is to move to the Eastern time zone. Uh, uh, unfortunately, there's only a handful of countries that that qualifies for. But if you're in the US, if you've got freedom of movement, Eastern time zone is uh, the absolute best for exactly two reasons. One, remote work on teams that are mostly, you know, U.S., Canada, North, North and South America bound. You know, you'll have a, you'll have the edge on everyone else every single day of your working career. And reason number two is Apple pre-order timing, because for like four or five years now, every Apple pre-order like clockwork has been on a Friday morning at 8 a.m. Eastern, which is uh, after I am awake. Or 5 a.m. Pacific, which is before you are awake. Uh, so that is uh, the world we live in. The, the, the pre-orders went up. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about that. This is the, the Apple Vision Pro pre-order extravaganza episode. Uh, but first, let's, let's talk about some life updates. Uh, <laughs> I got into trouble. Uh, I flew too close to the sun is one way I might put it. Becky and I, we are uh, uh, annual pass holders at all of the local theme parks like Universal Studios Orlando and uh, 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 the Disney World uh, family of theme parks. Uh, I said all the local ones, like we don't have season passes to Gatorland, 
which is a real thing where you can take a zip line over alligators and they they snap at you. Uh, haven't 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 tried that one yet. Uh, also, despite having lived here for three years, haven't been to SeaWorld. And I'm sure SeaWorld's fine. Like, I think it's mostly Coasters and Sesame Street now. I don't think... Fact check me. But I'm pretty sure that the... Uh, what was the... Was it Blackfish? The, you know, the killer whale thing was kind of a brand killer. And I don't... I don't, I don't feel excited about SeaWorld. In fact, when I drive by on I-4, SeaWorld, the sign I was just noticing yesterday looks more dilapidated than ever. It actually looks almost as bad as another Orlando theme park uh, that I never went to, uh, the Holy Land Experience, which had a Roman Coliseum. And I think instead of a daily parade, you know, like Disney would have a daily parade through the, through the Magic Kingdom and all the characters and yada yada, it would have a, uh, I've just been told, Again, I, I haven't been, but the Holy Land experience uh, with the big Colosseum and all the other kind of like biblical, you know, stuff that Christians like, I guess, uh, or at least that's who it was marketed to, instead of a parade would have a daily crucifixion, I was told, where like a, an actor playing Jesus would get the snot beaten out of him as he walked down the park. And I, I guess you'd line up and I don't know if people cheered. I don't know if I'm sure they sold concessions. Which I mean, like at that point, like what side of history are you playing, right? If you're an attendee who's presumably uh, a faithful member of that faith. Uh, anyway, yeah. And I think it ended with a, a, a crucifixion. I don't know if they had like a John Wayne lookalike or sound alike saying, you know, like surely this was the son of God, like in that one movie uh, that I've mostly repressed. Anyway, we're off to a great start. So I have a theme park. <laughs> experience of the week uh there is an attraction at universal studios islands of adventure the second of what will soon be three universal studios theme parks here in florida and the uh, attraction is called hagrid's motorbike adventure i said that as I, I realized i have no idea what the names of any of these attractions technically are once you've ridden something two times it just becomes oh that's hagrid's uh you might remember hagrid as the half giant character from the, the Harry Potter series of, of books and or films. And he has a motorbike that flies. And oh, would you believe it? They made it into a coaster where you can fly around and it tells a little story. And the, the coolest conceit of this ride is that the coaster vehicle, even though you're in a line of them, so it's a little ridiculous, is got the, you know, easy rider motorbike uh, as the main vehicle and then a sidecar that is like a little sidecar. And... I actually prefer the sidecar because it turns out holding those handles, you know, if, if your grip's too tight, uh, the, the torque is just too much. So maybe I got to hit the gym. Anywho, I hadn't ridden it in a long time because uh, they don't sell. It's not eligible for the express pass. There's no fast pass equivalent. You just have to kind of like sit in line for over an hour. And I, you know, when you live in the theme park universe like I do and you're there a lot, you know, I mostly go there to, you know, get a drink, see some friends, maybe get a meal, maybe do one attraction and then go home. You know, it's, I'm not making a day of it, but because I hadn't ridden this thing in like a year and a half due to the long lines, I, I suggested to Becky, Hey, you know, Wednesday night, let's go to universal and just make a plan to get in line for Hagrid right as they close, because that's when the, the, the wait times tend to, to trail off. And it was set to close at 7 PM. It was uh, considered a low traffic day in the crowd calendar. Uh, and uh, I thought that would be 
that'd be a fun evening. Go get some snacks, get, maybe get a drink, wait in line with the drink, you know, hopefully that lines an hour or less. And we were having a decent enough time. Uh, we, we screwed long story short, we screwed up the timing. We got there and we rushed. We saw that it was too tight. We were like, ah, oh, getting off one thing. Got got to get over there. We rushed. We were, we sauntered, which I don't think you're a flat out run. If it's not technically against the rules at these theme parks, like you know, you you look like a doofus. That's for sure. And uh, I may have been holding a a sixteen ounce beer at the time, and I may have gotten some on my coat because it was like thirty five fucking degrees out. Uh, sorry, I forgot this is an explicit con- podcast. I don't have to uh, pull the fucking punch. Thirty-five fucking degrees out. It was. It was. I know the rest of America <laughs> is having a harder time with weather right now, but like I had my winter coat on. I was not in a good place, so I was sauntering, uh, spilling this beverage all over uh, my very fancy winter jacket that I never have to wear because I, I, um, if I haven't mentioned, I live in Florida, and. We got to the front of the line right as we were about to cross the threshold and the uh, team members, uh, uh, here's a little bit of inside theme park baseball for you. If you're in Disney World or Disneyland, the people who work at theme parks are called cast members as if they're part of the movie magic and universal because it is a kind of a a cheap two bit cut rate wannabe Disney World. It's fine. I'm, I, that's not to denigrate it, you know? There's clearly good money in it. It's the Pepsi to Disney's Coke. They had to think of what, what we call our special employees, because uh, we can't call them employees. And they call them team members, which kind of gives away the game of just how creative Universal is generally. That's a little on the nose. Okay, cool. So anyway, the three team members who I think if you added up all their ages was less than my age, they turned us away and it was seven zero zero PM on both of our phones and watches. And we were right at the threshold to get in line. We begged and we pleaded and they turned us away. And then, uh, you know, a group of, uh, I will, I will, I will qualify them as, uh, uh, large, Burly men, primarily. I, th- I would say, you know, I don't know what, I don't know where surly stops and burly starts, but they were somewhere on the surly burly continuum. They came up to the line again after Becky and I were the first two being rejected entrance. And they just kind of like vaguely half acidly gestured forward with half an arm like, oh, you know, we've got people a gesture that says, oh, my wife's right in front of me with the kids and they're already in line. I got to go. And they all kind of did this sort of uh, it looked ritualistic. It looked like a move that they'd pulled before. And it was a little bit shameless because they knew and the team members team members knew that they didn't have anyone up there in line. But, you know, who's the team member going to be like, you know, they get paid what? I mean, nowadays, maybe 18 bucks an hour, if we're being honest. Universal does pay better than Disney. It's something they got going for them. What are they going to do? Go and prove like, actually, sir, your party is not ahead of you in line. So they let them all in. They let like 20 people in. And Becky and I are just sitting there and we're like, well, we already kind of shot our shot. We're not going to be like, hey, I just invented a relative <laughs> there and they're up there. Instead, we uh, uh, we took another stab. We threw ourselves at the mercy of um, the uh, uh, 
that power dynamic, right, of, of, of the pimply youths who could control whether or not our, our evening was a success. And they, they turned us down and they said, we've got to have this park emptied by 8.30 p.m. for our private event. And I just thought to myself, man, like, you know, that's, that's something that's weird about theme parks is that in theory, it's all about brand loyalty. They're kind of like a halo vehicle for the entire cinematic experience now. Like, you know, if you have a great experience at the theme park, you will remember it. You'll be brand loyal. You'll buy the merchandise. You'll, you'll sign up for the streaming subscription. You might even like, you know, a, a, a feel a sort of like team team like affiliation or tribal affiliation, um, uh, similar kind of vibes uh, to that park. And so like generally speaking, the staff at either park, especially Disney to a lesser extent universal, they'll like kind of bend over backwards to try to like make things be okay. Especially, you know, they'll bend a rule and here they wouldn't. And usually when they wouldn't, it's because there's a specific training point or an incentive or some other stressor on them. And that's when it became clear. It's like, Oh, you need, you are being evaluated on whether or not all the motherfuckers in this line are out of that park by eight twenty, because some corporate event, starts at eight 30 and they want to see a spick and span an empty park. And so I get it, you know, that's, that's above their pay grade. Uh, I feel for them, but anyway, long story short, that is a, uh, <laughs> 10 minutes about why I didn't get to ride the Hagrid ride. And, uh, since anytime I don't get my way, it sticks out like a sore thumb because I, as a, uh, a hyper privileged white dude who uh, usually gets his way all the time, I'm not afraid to admit that. Uh, yeah, that was a bummer. I I disapprove of not getting one's way. I think we should all get our way 100% of the time, and we would all be a lot happier for it. So that's just my two cents. Anyway, speaking of Universal, some other some real <laughs> some real life news. Some life comes at you fast news. Uh, they have a, a event every uh, winter, uh, like a Mardi Gras kind of festival or every night's Mardi Gras, except it's like very PG. Don't worry. There's nothing too uh, risque about this Mardi Gras. There's a parade. There is bead throwing. But as far as I can tell, there is no reciprocation expected for receiving beads. Uh, they have concerts uh, many of the nights. Uh, most of the time, my only concern with the concert evenings is that on these Mardi Gras nights, uh, the valet parking is no longer complimentary to the annual pass holders. And so I have to like go and park in the garage like a dummy. Uh, so that's the only reason I was actually interested in looking up <laughs> the concert schedule. But this year on the conference schedule, I see that on March 2nd, DJ Khaled, he of the you played yourself gif which is, you know, given the demographic of people who probably are listening to this right now, if you've ever seen the, uh, the gif of, of the fella with kind of big head saying, Hey, you played yourself. That would be, uh, this guy, DJ Khaled. Do I know a DJ Khaled song or a track or a hook? No, but I, I was going to go to see what I thought was DJ Khaled at the same event two years ago. Uh, in, in the Mardi Gras lineup. And the, the <laughs> I'm still embarrassed about this. We went, we planned a whole evening around it. We went and we we're like, Hey, you know, like, let's go see the played yourself guy, you know, and because it's local, it's free it included, of course, with our, with our passes. And there's a, a fellow on stage. And I'm like, I don't recognize any of this. And I didn't expect to recognize it, but like, he also looks pretty skinny and he looks younger. And it turned out his name's Khalid. 
So DJ Khaled, if you can't hear it, it's K-H-A-L-E-D. And this other feller, K-H-A-L-I-D. And I'm looking around <laughs> during this uh, Don't Call It DJ Khalid concert set. And uh, everyone there looks pretty confused like me. Like we all went there thinking we were going to see DJ Khaled, you know, the uh, you done played yourself guy. And it was this other feller. And I, you know, was he bad? I don't know. You can't hear shit. It's crappy speakers in a theme park and 9 p.m. So we sat for a while and then we hightailed it. But anyway, I gave the feedback because I got a survey being like, yo, I thought I thought that was uh, the other guy. So here I am looking at the 2024 lineup. March 2nd, DJ Khaled. It's almost as if they realized that they done fucked up and they got the wrong Khaled last time. So they maybe as far as I know, it was a uh, confusion on their side, too. Maybe they'd only thought there there was room for one uh, rapping adjacent Khaled figure in, 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 in American pop music. So anyway, show starts at eight 30. See you there. All right. What's next? Uh, moving on to follow up. <laughs> got a lot of follow up this week. Uh, it's not a weekly con uh, conference, not a weekly podcast. It's also not a conference, not a monthly podcast. It's a, whenever the fuck I feel like it podcast, man, I'm bringing out the explicitness. I'm pulling it forward today. Uh, want you guys all to know how hard edge I am. Anyway, I got a lot of feedback. Uh, that boy, did I sound nervous in the first 30 minutes of a podcast. And since the podcast was an hour and 47 minutes, uh, I took heart and said, well, that means some number of people listen to more than 30 minutes. That's nice. And I, I felt it too. I, I, you know, when I was editing, I was like, well, that's a lot of ums and swallowing. So if you uh, suffered through that, I apologize. I, I, I had to get the butterflies out. I, it's, it's unusual to talk into a microphone. I like to think that I'm getting more comfortable. But you never know. Uh, the, the, the idea that other people might listen to what you say and then not only think it was stupid, but rewind, listen again, write it down, and tell somebody else about it and get you in trouble with the principal's office. Uh, that idea just <laughs> it lives in my head because uh, when I was in kindergarten, I was throwing snowballs in line once and I got in trouble and I got dragged to the principal's office because my, my classmate claimed that there was ice in the snowballs. And uh, I, two things I learned that day. One, I learned that other people are not to be trusted. And, you know, if you're going to throw a snowball, you may as well throw an ice ball because those fucking liars are going to say they're ice balls anyway. So, you know, mean it. That was one thing I learned, apparently. The other thing I learned was, boy, when I get in trouble, even a little bit of trouble, even let off the hook, even when the principal says, yo, I feel for you and this is just a warning, uh, me, Justin Searles, will stay up at night and I will have a grumbly tumbly, grumbly tumbly, and I will feel just this pit of despair in my stomach and I will play forward every possible future in which I am poor, destitute and, uh, isolated and abandoned, uh, imprisoned by society. And, uh, I will not be okay until some other thing stresses me out even more. And, uh, it's from that moment onward. I've just sort of been playing this 
uh, like procrastination layering, except for with regard to like social stressors. I've been playing dominoes since that point. So what you're seeing me do right now is talk about the what it felt like to be told that I sounded nervous on a podcast that doesn't matter from people who matter to me, apparently. So anyway, hopefully I get that worked out. I'm going to try to say um less and I'm going to try to swallow less hard into the microphone. Maybe I'll just I wouldn't want a mute button, right? Because I mute button, then you would lose the uh, the background sound of the room, which sounds like you don't need. But if you've ever done any audio editing and you've you've taken the silence of a mic in line and then you've just deleted it to true black nothing it is jarring so i'll try to swallow more daintily some more follow-up i paired with aaron patterson uh tender love on the active storage bug that i talked about in the last episode and boy was that fun it was fun mostly because aaron and i get along and if we didn't get along so well it would have been i would say not fun because Active Storage's code base is a mess. Active Storage, uh, to recap, is a library that is ships with Ruby on Rails, and it allows you to post attachments and read those attachments uh, and even uh, analyze those attachments and create things like thumbnails and so forth. And it had a bug around preloading these things so you could loop over them performantly on, uh, performantly on, a, on a website. And what we found was, boy, because the code is duplicated between attachments that are true up images and attachments that are not images, but are nevertheless able to have thumbnails generated for them, analyzable images, because uh, that's been bifurcated in the code, it's been duplicated and the code wasn't, you know, considering both cases in all cases. And so we made the fix and the fix was take a like a magical hash of preload includes keys and copy paste it in two more places. And then in, in the course of fixing tests, somebody points out, Hey, there's like this fourth place. You got to copy paste that too, if you want that to work as well. So we did that too. Uh, we, we committed it. That was one of my first uh, PRs into rails in a while. And then uh, ba- uh, Aaron afterwards very kindly backported that to 7.1. And then coincidentally that day, Raphael cut 7.1.3. I think it was Raphael. And so now uh, a little bit of my code, if you use active storage, fixed a really kind of screwed up performance bug. So you're welcome. All zero of you. If I do the math on how many people actually use that feature and how many people listen to this, the Venn diagram is me. All right. Now it's big breath time because I've got a lot of stuff. I got a lot of follow up about this Apple Vision Pro thing. Pre-orders went live this morning, uh, this morning being Friday, January 19th, 2024. And in terms of an event, you know, it wasn't on the local news. It was very much an Apple fan insider thing to know that pre-orders were going up today. Now, the Apple fan insider base is much larger than it was in 2007 before the iPhones launch which I don't believe had pre-orders. I believe you had to line up for that one. They were still doing the in-store lineups. You know, Apple's a well-oiled machine now. But I didn't buy an iPhone Edge, the original iPhone, until like that September when Becky and I had like enough savings to do so. And even then it was kind of irresponsible. But by this time, you know, had the means uh, and the will. And I actually want to build apps for Vision Pro. 
Apple Vision Pro, excuse me. And so we, we, the plan was we'd pre-order. Uh, it includes a face scan. And, you, you know, I've got a big head. Becky has a small head. Becky would also like to use a Vision Pro. Now, do, I don't know if I'm going to end up needing, feeling like I need this. I don't know if she's going to end up feeling like she needs the thing. But when Becky and I make foolish, inadvisable, unnecessary Apple purchases, we do so as a team. So we both pre-ordered one. That means I'm, I'm, I'm out like eight grand. We're out. We, sorry, we are out eight grand <laughs> across two Vision Pros that we don't need. Uh, and, you know, I think honestly, like there's a, there's a world where if this thing isn't good for screen sharing from a Mac for just general productivity, I mentioned last week, I use the Xreal Air 2 uh, as my primary like daily driver monitor uh, where I, I do almost all my coding now in these little 1080p screens in my face. If the Vision Pro is not good for that, she might end up using this thing more than me uh, because every day I'll walk in on Becky just uh, on what what I'm starting to jokingly call like Becky Becky book. Uh, it, it's just the photos app because she's the only person that I know. She's the only person I've even heard of who actually looks at photos and videos. You know, like whenever you have a moment killer, you're out to dinner, you're you're having a great time. You know, you have this really kind of touching moment with a family member or a friend, and then they whip out their phone to take a picture. And you're like, man, you know, just let the moment be. No one's going to look at that photo or that video. Well, I used to say that, but then I saw that Becky actually does look at all of her photos and videos. She looks at all the memory videos that Apple's uh, AI ML generates for her, and then she saves them as videos. So then they go, they go into the chum bucket of <laughs> our six terabyte uh, photo library. And uh, I, you know, if you, ha if, if, if I had to guess, I have a feeling like I'm going to walk in and walk downstairs in the morning and Becky's just going to have her vision pro slapped to her face and she's just going to be in panoramic photo heaven uh, more often than not. So, so let's start recording those spatial videos so that she's got something to watch. Um, yeah. So we ordered them. Uh, in fact, you know, I compare this to the iPhone. I think that this is the biggest launch since the iPhone. This is the first time Apple's created a new platform since the iPhone that was meant to do something that the previous ones couldn't. The, you know, the iPad was clearly a big iPad, iPod touch. It was not, a revolutionary device and even in the ways in which it could do things that the iPhone could not do it was really a cut down version of what the Mac could do it sat in the middle right it was the car to use Steve Jobs analogy the iPad was the car to the Max truck and so they're like even from a size perspective I've got the 12.9 inch uh, mini display mini LED display uh, iPad Pro and I've got a you know, 13 inch M2 MacBook Air. The 13 inch M2 MacBook Air literally weighs less and has a smaller footprint than the iPad that can do significantly less when it's married to its magic keyboard, floating keyboard dingus. You know, so anyway, it wasn't the iPad, right? The iPad was this sort of it was cool. I got one at launch. I actually launched a, a text editor uh, as my first app in the App Store. Uh, for launch date on the iPad and it was fun, but it was never, it was a toy. It's always been a toy and it's, it's a cool toy. It's cool. I can get more done on the iPad when focus is my biggest limiting constraint because there's not a lot of other ways for myself to get distracted with a lot of windows. Like here, I'm looking at three windows right now and it's probably not great. Yeah. So the iPad, 
doesn't doesn't cut it. The Apple Watch is clearly like an accessory. You still can't set one up without an iPhone. It's just a a, a a little portal on your wrist. Basically, I view the Apple Watch as I don't have to pull my phone out of my pocket anymore, and I can go without my phone in more contexts and and stay kind of sort of connected. Such that like today, I mostly keep my phone just charged an amount, uh, and I, and I'm not really I don't have it on me very often uh, unless I'm out. So so it wasn't it wasn't the watch. You know, the Mac is the Mac. It's been around. The Apple TV, of course, like we thought we might run apps on the TV. And then it turned out that like, no, the the purpose of apps on the TV is that third party streaming services can make worse user interfaces for video playback. I kind of miss the pre app store Apple TV where like Apple made the video playback stuff because it was actually nice looking at you, Max and Disney Plus and Paramount Plus and Netflix and YouTube and pretty much all these fucking goddamn garbage pieces of shit motherfucking apps sorry i was trying i wasn't trying to earn the explicit label but it just drives me bonkers how it seems that every single one of these streaming services goes out of their way to take a really really good sophisticated simple user experience of apple tv apple tv remote and that video player the av player that's built in that you can use with three lines of fucking code. And they all say, no, no, we are going to reinvent the wheel. I forgot to mention Amazon prime, by the way, which is probably the worst of all of these. We're going to reinvent a video player from scratch for two reasons. One, because we think we're smarter and two, because we want it to be identical on every smart TV and all these other platforms, as well as just the Apple TV. Oh, and three third reason, the AV player doesn't get us as many hooks for, showing advertisements and for, for, for tracking and monitoring user behavior. So there's, there is that anyway, I get really mad about that. Uh, so yeah, it's clearly like the, the check. So it wasn't the iPad, wasn't the Apple watch, wasn't the TV OS. Uh, I'm running out of platforms, right? Uh, you know, Mac OS existed here. We are with vision OS. This is the next thing. And I think this is the next, this is the biggest thing they've done since 2007 full stop. Now, I don't think it's going to sell like hotcakes. I think it's going to be a slow ass burn. I think it's probably going to be 10 years before normal people are really coming to rely on this as a product or as a category. Maybe not 10, maybe seven, but it's going to be a while. Uh, they, they, they might sell 800,000 this year worldwide, you know, it's a drop in the bucket. I think they sold a million iPhones in the first year. And nevertheless, you know, because the rumor mill had said that there was only going to be 60 to 80,000 of these at launch, I was worried I wasn't going to get one. And again, you know, you may recall earlier me mentioning I'm not particularly gracious when I fail to get my way. And the way that I get my way is very often just obsessive behavior. (laughs) Pro tip, if you like to get your way, just like completely just, 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 just force shit, just, just nose to the grindstone, just, just, just really, you know, will things into existence. And that's how I approach uh, things like this. So I mentioned last week, last time, previous version of this uh, podcast that I was, uh, let's see, I had the calendar event. I had two, the calendar event the night before I had a calendar event a couple days before that, or a couple to do's anyway, to make sure that like Becky got her prescription into the health app, which did prove to be useful. You could just tap that, uh, after checkout, it turned out, uh, 
Yeah. So I, you know, obsessively trying to be ready for this. I'd already thought through what the flow is, where the buttons are likely going to be so that I can try to breeze through this checkout as fast as possible. Uh, nevertheless, at about 4 a.m., my subconscious even participated in my uh, uh, antics, and I had a, a really vivid nightmare, not about just missing the pre-order, which I did. I, I got on. Uh, it came up early in the in the dream, and I opened my app, and it was like a lot of glyphs I'd never seen, a totally different user interface from how the how the store app normally looks. It was, uh, you know, had 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 like buttons like upgrade, which didn't make sense because I didn't own one. Then I click in, it was like two thousand dollars instead of thirty five hundred, and so like that wasn't right. And so I'm like scrutinizing all this, and I get distracted, and I, uh, you know, uh, by then the 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 ship had sailed, and they were out. So bad, bad dream also contributed to the, when I said earlier, I, uh, uh, just force shit. Like I, I, I'm like, I just like, I was like, I was on, I was on edge. I was not going to forget this thing. So I got up this morning, set my alarm and, uh, it actually was totally fine. Store came up eight Oh one, maybe click, 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 click face scan. That was weird. It was a weird face scan where you're scanning four different directions of your head instead of the normal face ID scan. I think they wanted to see some ear. So the face scan, uh, no prescription for me, just check out Apple card installment payments so that it doesn't feel as expensive as it is, but it's like a 0% loan for 12 months. So that's nice. Get that sweet, sweet 3% cash back, I guess. Uh, yeah. So that worked out. Uh, it's coming February 2nd. So uh, if you want to guess when version three of this podcast hits, I suspect it's going to be shortly after that. Uh, Interestingly, one of my favorite memories from 2007 was September 2007. I'm boarding a plane. Uh, I was flying United back and forth to Denver a lot. And I had an iPhone by then. And everyone everyone on the plane was staring at it. And I had three or four people ask me about it. And I had the people on my left and my right on the plane ask me about it. And it was really kind of cool for about less than three seconds. And then it was real damn annoying because everyone's staring over your shoulder, looking at how you're using it as you, you know, try to load a web page on the edge network. And here we are again. Guess where on February 6th I am flying to Denver on a United flight. And am I going to leave my Vision Pro at home? No, because it's my new baby. I got to play with it. You know, I'm excited to play with it. I'm excited to take it on a plane and, and watch, uh, everything everywhere all at once or whatever the film that they, they showed in, in, in the unveil, unveil, un- unveiling, you know, the video about the vision pro I'll watch a movie or something in an, in a seemingly isolated environment. But when they come to hand me my peanuts or whatnot, or my non peanut nuts, uh, they will, the, 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 the flight attendant will morph into my isolated realm and I will be able to hear them. I'm looking forward to that experience. I am not looking forward to a looking like a complete goddamn doofus, which I realize I will, or B the reactions of others who want to know about it, uh, which I think is going to be a, a uh, lot more dramatic than it was with the iPhone. So there you go. Uh, we're going to see how that goes. I, I, I would say that is a foolish decision that I'm going to embark on. And I may not have taken that flight by the time you hear our next episode, but I'm thinking about it. 
In fact, I ordered uh, a device, a, a tool, a product that appeared in the Apple Store this morning, uh, a coincident with the Apple Vision Pro. That is the Apple Vision Pro travel case. It looks ridiculous. It looks like it's a hard shell case. It's got like a little shield thing that goes in front of the goggle eyes. You'll have to, I'll send a link. You'll have to look at it. It's very bizarre. It's got a, on the other, the flip side, a little place to put the mat, the, the battery. And I bought that too. Cause you know, I don't want to just throw this thing into a little, uh, velvet bag first day out and throw it around and let it jumble around. I want to wait at least three months before I'm treating it like garbage. So I got the travel case. It's probably too big. It's probably too heavy. I'll probably return it, but we'll give that a shot. Uh, the other consideration here, you may have noticed, but the Apple Vision Pro ships with two bands. It has a solo knit band. So if you see any marketing, like product images for the uh, Apple Vision Pro, this is the what the design team, the Johnny Ive kind of spirit of the company wants you to think about it looks kind of like a catcher's mitt where like it you know it's a it's 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 knitted it's like you know a really comfortable sock and it just wraps around the back of your head and you know if you've got interesting hair it's not gonna screw your interesting hair up usually and this device is not lightweight if you are have, have a, a a heavy device in the front of your head and you've got a, a single band wrapping horizontally around your head. It doesn't matter if that's uh, made of, you know, the, the fluffiest pillows in existence. Your nose is going to hurt. Your front of face is going to hurt. Your neck is going to hurt because our heads were not designed to like a lever just have a whole bunch of weight distributed on one end of them. And of course, you know, Apple, like absolute neophytes, did not think very hard about that, it would appear, uh, until, oh, I don't know, like May of 2023 before WWDC when they realized, oh, we got to come up with something else. And so the, the other, the something else that they came up with is called the dual loop band. And it is a much simpler, much less designed, much obviously last minute kind of thing where, uh, yes, indeed, there is a loop that goes behind you. And, and, and if anything kind of like arcs down, takes a little, like has a dog leg that goes like 20 degrees South, as well as a second band that goes over the head to distribute the weight so that some of the, uh, weight is actually, uh, positioned at the top of your head and not just all in the front. Now, this is still not a great design. Uh, you know, if you, uh, like me have owned, I've owned a lot of VR headsets. I've always been an enthusiast for VR. I'm not some Johnny come lately to this product category. It's why I'm so damn excited about it. I, I let's see. I had the, um, Oculus, uh, DK two developer kit two, uh, Vive HTC Vive, HTC, HTC Vive pro, um, had one of the windows mixed reality ones, uh, that, that I think HPs, they, they were selling it for a song by then they were trying to get rid of it because the, uh, the, the windows mixed reality went nowhere. Uh, a valve index, a very interesting device. I even like, you know, drilled holes into my, you know, home, like concrete anchors to hang up its lighthouses so that it could track position. Had a quest Two. Um, I got a quest Two. I'm looking at it right now. I don't use it for much. I had a uh, uh, Quest Pro, Meta Quest Pro, for a minute before I realized this thing is garbage. Don't buy a Meta Quest Pro. 
just a terrible product for, I won't, I won't even, you know what, we're, we're looking at 40 minutes so far in this podcast. I'm going to save you 10 minutes right now. You might, you might think this podcast is too long. Well, it's 10 minutes shorter than if I had explained to you why the meta quest pro is such a, such a piece of garbage. Um, and, and should, should sap you of any confidence that you have in Mark Zuckerberg's regime, uh, and approach to this entire product category. So I will tell you that the dual loop band full stop is better than the solo knit band. I have not tried it on, but I'm telling you that's the case. And I, I will go further. It is also not good. Uh, what you want is something that if you've ever seen like, Oh yeah, I also had the PlayStation VR. I'm forgetting VR headsets. I've had so many, uh, uh, I'm realizing I have a, a problem. The PlayStation VR, if you've ever seen it, or the VR2, it's got a kind of a pod shape. I think pod is the word that us VR enthusiasts tend to use for this, where a um, almost like a headrest right in your forehead, crown of the head, nice foam pad there. Uh, we'll, we'll place the primary amount of weight there, and then maybe some um, else in the top back. But that seems to be the sweet spot. So even if you've got a front-heavy uh, 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 display, uh, that is usually like the most stable and nicest user experience where I could, you know, I've got a, a Bobo, I think, Bobo VR2 uh, pod style uh, wrap for my Quest 2, and I could have that thing on all day and not think about it. Whereas the, the paltry little strap that the Quest 2 shipped with is unusable. I think I, I could last like 20 minutes before I get a headache. So I'm going dual loop band. I'm going to probably never even try on the solo knit band just to make a point. Sounds like me, uh, but I'm going to be immediately be looking for any third party, you know, uh, uh, Chinese knockoff garbage pod shaped looking VR headset thing on Amazon. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there for all of them. If it's free returns, I'm there. Uh, I expect I'll have to go through 10 of them, but once I find one, that's, that's going to be my go-to. I can already guarantee. So if you're thinking about vision pro, think about how bad that headsets straps are and how it is maybe the final indictment against Johnny Ive and Johnny Ive flavored thinking at this company of, of form over function, man, did I get a little worked up there? I did. I think, I think that I got worked up thinking about video players and the refusal to use the native framework provided video player by all these other streaming services, because I, I have the audacity to rewind sometimes or to pause and then want the pause play button to unpause. <sighs> anyway, back to pre-ordering the vision pro the, the face scan doesn't tell you actually the results of the scan when you're checking out, which I think is good because it should be, it's an implementation detail. What are they, what they're trying to do is size up what's the size of light shield that this person needs so that their face shape can be um, comforted with a light seal uh, while fully occluded from any light gaps, any gaps popping in uh, so that they get a full, don't call it VR, but yes, totally VR uh, closed off experience when they're wearing the, the Apple Vision Pro. Uh, so they're sizing you up for the light seal. They're also sizing you up for each of those two bands. Uh, the bands apparently have small, medium, large sizes, as far as I can tell. Uh, I am a medium size dual loop band and medium size solo knit band. And I realize that this podcast is audio and I realize that not everyone listening to this has met me in person. But uh, a, a thing that people commonly say when they meet me is, wow, you've got a huge fucking head. 
Well, sirs, and or madams, uh, my, my head is actually medium. Uh, for the first time in my life, I have been validated that I, I don't have a huge head. I just have a medium-sized head, at least according to this app. And I'll be honest, if my first reaction isn't to be worried that it has mis- mismeasured my gigantic fucking head. So I'm going to be trying on the medium straps. We'll see how it goes. Uh, there's a, a Becky, by the way, unsurprisingly to anyone, uh, got a small, uh, got weighed in at small size solo knit and do loop bands. Uh, Becky, uh, very often gets the feedback that she has a small head. In fact, when she was a teacher in Japan, uh, one of the favorite tropes that just kind of came up over and over again is students would stop her on the street and just say, small face. (laughs) I don't know if it was like a nickname or, or or just a spontaneous utterance that had to happen, but yeah, Becky has got a, um, a, a very, uh, lithe face shape. Got to go look up the definition for the word live now. Uh, the other measurement that pops out of here is what's your face sh- light shield shape size? I got a 21W, which I'm going to guess is a 21 degree angle wide or something. It's my guess. Uh, she got a 25 degree or 25W. The reason I say degree is if her number is bigger than mine, she also has a more pointed head shape than I do. But I don't know. No idea. Anyway, these are the, the, uh, that little bit of Arcana is something that just comes in your email confirmation letter. And since you probably did not pre-order the Vision Pro, although maybe you did, and if you did, please email me, podcast at circles.co. Tell me all about your experience. I wanted to give you the full effect of what the experience is like. Uh... All right. In, in terms of other Vision Pro pre-order stuff, there's the stuff you need and then the stuff you think you might need so then you order in advance anyway. I got an Anchor battery, uh, what do they call these? Power power packs, power, power bank. That's the phrase. It's a 24,000 milliampere, which, uh, you know, if you do the Google for converting milliamps to watt hours is almost 100 watt hours, which is the uh, federal TSA limit for how big of a battery you can take on a plane. So that's why you don't see batteries bigger than that typically sold. The, the Anchor 25,000, 24,000 milliamp battery, it's nice because it's got USB-C in, USB-C out. It's a huge goddamn battery, of course. It's got a screen that tells you its charging status, how long until it's charged, so forth, what the power draw is of anything plugged into it. It's also got a USB-A out if you, need, if you have a USB-A device that you need to um, draw power from. And it's small. It's dense. It's like, I'm going to have that in my backpack with this Vision Pro so I can use it for more than two hours. We'll see. I don't know what the milliampere rating is for the um, Vision Pro's battery. If you don't know this, the Vision Pro doesn't have a battery in the headset because that's heavy enough as it is. It has a battery pack that is must be connected for all use. And that battery is looks to be about the size of like an iPhone Pro Max or maybe two of them sandwiched together. All right. So I don't know how many milliamps, watt hours that battery is, but I presume it's significantly less than 100 watts given that it's a 30, um, 30 watt charger comes with it. So I'm going to have this 24,000 milliamp hour, ugh, ampere, I don't know, mm, 24th, big fucking anchor power bank. I'm going to have that in my backpack too. 
it's going to be really heavy. It's like, it looks like just uh, uh, dark matter. It is so heavy. It lo- it, I'm looking at it now and it, it, is, it looks like a pencil sharpener, but when I pick it up, my arm hurts kind of heavy. I'm going to have that in my backpack as well, as well as this like relatively heavy headset. Uh, and I am going to be rucking through the airport from the sounds of it. Uh, uh, so yeah, I'm going to, I'm glad I've been conditioning. I did my lat pull downs yesterday. Uh, did my, did my, uh, split row exercises, rotational rows as well, just in case, you know, I, I gotta get something, I get chuck something up to a, uh, overhead compartment to the left or to the right. I will be all set, uh, with my little tiny 19 liter Tom bin backpack. Uh, a funny thing about the battery, by the way, Apple also sells you a spare battery. If you so like $199, it offers, uh, this is a quote from the product page. I thought this was hilarious. Two hours of general use or 2.5 hours of video playback. And this is still a quote all day use when plugged in. And that's a ridiculous phrase, but it, even that elicited a like uh, a superscript number one where they have a footnote about what all day use when plugged in means. Uh, yeah, I, it turns out that uh, when when accessories and our appliances are plugged into some to, to, to power, they don't run out of power because they're not supplying their own power anymore. Go figure. Uh, Apple Vision Pro's uh, product page that went up this morning also has an FAQ. You know, if you've got some frequently asked questions, the best thing about FAQs on product pages is that it's obvious when they are written because of anticipated questions or written in response to actual questions that people have. And I like to think that this is an actual question that people have had uh, because it is something that uh, Apple's had over six months now since the original unveiling of this product. So I'm sure they've gotten some real questions. Apple's FAQ states, question, can I share Apple Vision Pro with someone else? Answer, yes. That person may need a different headband or light seal size for the best experience with Apple Vision Pro. This, this answer strikes me as bullshit. We may be wrong, but all signs indicate that the operating system is a single user OS just like the iPad is, just like the iPhone is, just like the Apple Watch is. The only multi-user operating systems that Apple currently maintains are tvOS and macOS, where you can have multiple user accounts with multiple settings and so forth. It could be the case that you put on the, the Vision Pro, the Apple Vision Pro, and you select your profile, and then you are now that person, and it loads their iCloud and all that stuff. I am dubious. All Apple's published is that there is a main user account and a guest account, and the guest account is exactly like if you restart a Mac and you go into guest mode. It, it's just locked down. There's no, you know, the home directory is deleted, so to speak, after every use. It is really just there to demo the product. And while Apple isn't going to be selling a ton of these, in fact, they're not concerned about how many they're selling because they're so su- supply constrained. This is really more about seeding developer user uh, developer ca- uh, kits and getting some practice, getting some reps in how to build these things at scale. I don't think that Apple is going to ever get away from the, our, our big products aren't just personal one-to-one, you know, uh, what do they call it? The, 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 the iPhone near launch, it was like the extremely personal computer. Like it was, the idea was 
the iPad too. You know, the iPad could have easily been multi-user at this point, except for the fact that more people buy them if everyone in the family needs their own separate one to have, you know, iCloud. So I am dubious that Apple's FAQ here. Quote me on this. That'll be follow-up for next time. If, if there's actually multiple users supported, maybe we don't need two of these. Maybe I can I can take that extra $4,000 and um, have a real fancy time someplace. If I was writing this FAQ as a copywriter and just making shit up, my question would be, does Shake to Undo work on the Vision Pro? We haven't talked a lot about the gestures available on the Vision Pro, but like my favorite gesture on the iPhone is Shake to Undo, where like iPhone originally did not have any undo functionality whatsoever. And when they finally added it, I want to say in iOS 3 or 4, you could shake the phone and it would tr- prompt a, do you want to undo that? And now it just undo, un, 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 undids it. I, I love the idea. I just, as soon as I thought this idea, I, I, I love the idea that you could give yourself a headache by violently shaking your head and undo an, 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 an action if you had a typo. So I really hope Shake to Undo made the final cut. Uh, the other stuff, uh, news that's broken since, since launch this morning. Here it is at 1 p.m. Eastern. Breaking news. Uh, apparently the tech specs say... Depending on your configuration, the Apple Vision Pro is 600 grams, 600 to 650 grams. If, if, if your configuration, probably using the dual loop band, which is smaller, using a smaller light shield, if your configuration is closer to 600 grams, then you're just a little bit heavier than a Quest 2 if you use one of those. But if it's 650, then you're a little bit closer to the 720 grams of the, the MetaQuest Pro. And if you recall me mentioning anything about that product, you don't want to be anything like that product. Uh, it pinches your face way too heavy. I'm... I, 650 grams is a heavy headset. You're not going to use it all day if, unless, you're, unless your neck is a lot stronger than mine. Um, and, and maybe it is because, as mentioned, my neck also has to hold up a way too large of a head. So I'm, I'm kind of at a disadvantage. But boy, you know, I'll tell you, like I mentioned, I want this thing primarily to just be my display for whatever Mac I'm currently on. And that means that the correct Mac to pair this with is when you're not at a desk is whatever the smallest Mac is. You know, I use an M2 MacBook Air not because it's fast, not because it's best. You know, I sacrifice on display brightness and so forth, uh, but because it's the smallest one that they have. And it's even then, it's ridiculous. It's like three pounds, I want to say, maybe even more. Like, oh, it's about three pounds. And that is so damn heavy. People act like this is like, people talk about the MacBook Air like it's just a goddamn revelation. Like, oh man, this is such a light and fun computer. And it's fine. It's like, it's an improvement over the like five previous shitty MacBook Airs, I guess. If, if what you want is an ultralight computer, like I would pay three grand, I'd pay four grand for a modern version of the 12 inch MacBook. Just give me a two pound 12 inch computer. When I had the 12 inch MacBook and I bought all three revs of it because it was my favorite computer that Apple ever made because the only virtue I want either the biggest thing or the smallest thing. I, I have, I have no interest in the lukewarm middle ground of these 13, 14 inch three to four pound laptops you do nothing for me. And especially when the monitor is my face, Apple, please, please come out with a 12 inch MacBook pro. Think of how 
symmetrical it would be to have a 12 inch 14 inch and 16 inch macbook pro and then the 13 and 15 inch macbook air for the normies like make it happen make it expensive you know just complete like don't do the iphone mini thing you know where who wants to butter this bread and it is not the like consumer grade people it's the hardcore users who understand that what they really want is a high powered chip and a keyboard and a trackpad attached to that keyboard. Now, like ultimately, like this is a stupid solution. Like to have to travel with a Vision Pro and a laptop at all seems unnecessary when I could, if only it virtualized macOS on board the device, could just be traveling with a keyboard or maybe a keyboard and a trackpad. And that's hopefully where Vision Pro goes is you could run either macOS apps or macOS in a screen or macOS in breakout screens in like a VM like setting and kind of just cut the laptop out of the equation. But again, you know, that would probably result in fewer sales of Macs. I don't know how much that factors into the calculus. It would definitely be less tidy from a um, product definition perspective. Like the idea of uh, one of their OSs running other OSs, like they, they tend to not be like huge fans of that outside the developer story. But man, this 13 inch MacBook Air plus this battery pack plus this headset plus its battery pack, you know, that adds up. Uh, uh. All right. Thus concludes pew, 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 the Vision Pro extravaganza. Uh, let's let's go read a pun. Uh, I'm checking my, my, my messages. I got a pun from Aaron. So if you don't, if you're not familiar, one moment. I was able to make it almost an hour before my first sip of water. I'm going to keep, keep track. I think I had three last time. Let's set this down over here. I've just been holding it. Nursing that can of Spindrift mint and lemon tea. It's like a kind of tastes like an Arnold Palmer, but like with some tea flavor. Anyway, if you're not familiar last week, I started a tradition for this program uh, about halfway through Aaron shares a pun with us. Uh, Aaron likes to come up with puns and I'm going to rank the puns. Last week we had uh, our first pun entered into the spreadsheet, uh, which I'm going to pull up now. Some live spreadsheet action. A lot of expenses. Hmm. Nope. That's not it. Where? Hmm. I am not going to pull up the spreadsheet now because it's just not worth it at the moment. Rather, I am going to tell you that the other pun, <laughs> the only other pun, because we've only had, we're on version two here. Version one's pun was breaking change. Sorry, I don't carry cash. See, I remembered it that time because I screwed it up when I was trying to read it. Well, let's read this one so I can screw it up. Aaron says, I am excited about Apple Vision Pro. I heard spatial computing will be out of this world. He spelled spatial, not how Apple does, which Apple spells it spatial, S-P-A-T-I-A-L, but spatial, S-P-A-C-I-A-L. Now, either that is a pun that depends on a certain spelling, or that is an incorrect spelling, but either way, it definitely reading it evokes the thought that Aaron means outer space. Spatial computing, outer space computing will be out of this world. Cool. 
I am going to rank these now, and I'm going to say that is a less good pun. <laughs> Sorry, Aaron. Then breaking change. Sorry, I don't carry cash. So our number two all-time pun. I am excited about Apple Vision Pro. I heard spatial computing will be out of this world. Thank you, Aaron. We will log this in the spreadsheet for posterity. On to news. Uh, Aaron ha- uh, shows up again. This is a triple threat, Aaron. You know, first we fix a bug together in Rails. Uh, then he provides a pun. He mastodooned, mastodooned. He tweeted, tooted onto Mastodon, a toot, which uh, had a few replies and which is a, a thing that he and I care a lot about because we speak multiple languages and we often intersperse them. He said, I wish Siri could learn a second language. Siri will read text messages to me in English, but it will refuse to read other languages. Wow. So I did it again. I said dingus. And then my dingus answer, uh, answered, and it read me my messages. Uh, so, so Jeremy's asking if I've got plans tomorrow night. I, I will reply to him later, I suppose. Oops. Anyway, I wish Siri could learn. Oh, no, I said it again. Darn it. Never mind. Okay. Yes. I wish dingus could learn a second language. Dingus will read text messages to me in English, but refuse to read other languages. Now, if you uh, mostly uh, interact only in like uh, Indo-European languages with like a Roman uh, um, alphanumeric kind of character set, uh, Siri will give all of that the old college try. And if you give it some French, it will try to slaughter that French as best as it can, is my understanding. And that's what one of the replies here says. But if, if it's a different character set, it won't even try. It'll, uh, like, my friends, uh, my contacts, uh, my Japanese friends, I will very often have their contact card include, like, uh, be primarily their Japanese kanji, and maybe with a hiragana or, uh, you know, furigana, like, um, phonetic guide next to it. I may not even have English at all, or I might have English, like, as an additional field uh, to show the Roman characters of how to say their name. Uh, Siri don't care. Siri sees that kanji, gets scared immediately, and will say things like, uh, if I'm in CarPlay and I have a message, and I'll see, oh, like, Kawashima Show, he has sent me a message, and I'll click it. It'll say, someone with a name that I can't read sent a message in a language that I can't read. <laughs> I'm like, cool. And then, and then it has the uh, temerity to mark that message as read. Like, okay, cool. I, I can't wait to get home and forget that I... Um, uh, that this person texted me. There's no way to mark it unread, as far as I can tell, from the CarPlay interface, and I'm not about to go and unlock my phone and stuff while I'm driving just to get that back. So you kind of have to learn, like, oh, well, if this text message might have been in Japanese, because, you know, I've got lots of friends who speak both languages, well, then maybe I just should wait to see what they said until after I'm home. Little things like that. Like, you can't say a Japanese name or a Japanese word when you're speaking to Dingus. And that's really frustrating. Uh, it, if you want to ask a thing in, in Japanese, you actually need to change Siri's language. And to change Siri's language, you need to, I believe you still in iOS at least, need to change the operating system primary language. And that requires effectively a restart of the device. It's just so overkill. And I get it, you know, like this is hard. But the truth is, 
It's not impossible because Apple's own shortcuts, if you do dictation, has a little checkbox say, detect what language. And it can detect the language being spoken to it pretty well. I just wish they cared more about like, you know, how many multilingual families do we have around the world, right? Like anyone who lives near a border, like it's frustrating. Like I, I, re- I am with Aaron. This is the Justin Searle seal of approval. I wish Siri could handle more than one language at once. Although if you're listening to this and you speak one language, you're probably saying, I wish Siri could handle one language at once. And you'd also kind of have a point. Next up in the news, a fella named Viktor Shepilev, who lives in Ukraine, uh, and his, uh, you know, you go to his website, says Save Ukraine. So everyone, I stand with Ukraine, support Ukraine. I have have very little to add beyond that, I suppose. Uh, Viktor wrote an excellent, got a lot of attention in the Hacker News uh, sphere, an excellent series of blog posts about, uh, quote unquote, useless Ruby syntax sugar. And this is about all of the new language features that have emerged, particularly from 2.7 onward. 2.7 now is a few years old, four years old. Uh, There's uh, several features in 2.7. There's features in 3.0. He covers... Let's see, I'll, I'll list off uh, the ones that, that I think he's covered. Um, numbered block parameters, that was 2.7. Pattern matching, originally 2.7, but then it, it's been iterated on a few times. Uh, hash keyword arguments, you can omit the value if the, if the name of the, the argument matches um, the name of the identifier, the variable, or so forth. The argument forwarding, yep, the dot, dot, dots. Endless methods, that is a one-liner method definition that doesn't have the kind of like a def end structure. Uh, yeah, covers a lot of stuff. And honestly, like, this is a really good series. If you if you don't stay tuned, if you don't glue your eyeballs to Ruby Kaigi every year and follow along the actual, the, the new language level features that are user-facing, this is a great little series uh, to check out. So if you're a Ruby developer and you've been, um, uh, like me, often stick your head in the sand and, and just kind of stick with what you know, uh, there's a lot of uh, cool, like, I would say language feature review yeah, and like, and in the law review sense, like it's like, why was it requested? How was it designed? Who did it? You know, how other languages do it? What are the consequences? You know, like, and how does it, you know, there's a path where if you just keep adding stuff like this to Ruby, it becomes as inscrutable as Perl. And then there's an argument like, you know, when I met Jim Wyrick, one of my, probably my number one Ruby hero, I asked him why he got into Ruby. He said it was Perl with classes. So, you know, like, it being inscrutable and having a bunch of features that you might not ever use that enable somebody else to do something expressive. That's, that may not be anti Ruby, but it is, I think, uh, can lead to people writing code that is like less straightforward and less readable, less obvious. And, and, and we've seen with JavaScript as well, you know, when you blow wide open the surface area of a language, uh, people can do weird stuff. So check it out. Uh, it's worth a read. It's, he's looks like he's got one more post that hasn't been published yet. That's like an afterward kind of a review of this, but like all the main posts are there. I, I would encourage you to check it out. Uh, uh, also in, in, in community Ruby ish news, my colleague, uh, Landon gray from test double, he wrote a Ruby gem 
called React underscore AI, and it's a proof of concept of the React pattern. Now, if you uh, know programming uh, and you've heard the word React, you're probably thinking, oh, React, the JavaScript library named after the pattern for this particular type of user interface. And you would be wrong because in 20, here we are in 2024. And if you're talking about React these days, forget JavaScript, it's about AI. React uh, is a, a name from a title, the title of this paper uh, published uh, in Cornell. React, synergizing reasoning and acting in language models with a whole bunch of uh, uh, authors. And the idea is basically what I was getting at. This is a kind of sort of follow-up. You can split up the two tasks of reasoning about what's being done, like trying to figure out like what's the user asking for and how do I slot it? I, I refer to this as like Siri could be improved if you, hmm, Dingus could be improved if you made it more like a Plinko game and like one of the one side of the brain was trying to figure out which function of the different functions that I know how to execute should be executed for the gobbledygook of language that the user is inputting to me. And the other brain is figure out for those, if they're, if, you, if they're function calls or if they're integrations or if they're API endpoints, figure out how to construct the request and then interpret the response for the user. So by bifurcating those two activities, you'll have a lower likelihood of hallucinations and just bullshit get generated and more fluid ability to reach out to the world in structured ways like a weather API service or a Wikipedia query or something like that. So anyway, if you're interested in the React pattern, uh, check out Landon's RubyGem, React AI. It gives a couple examples. It's a little interactive CLI. It's very cute. Uh, I think this pattern is, uh, it, if, you, if you follow AI stuff, this is probably old hat now. Old hat meaning like three months old. Uh, but it's uh, it's one of those patterns that just sort of feels obviously right, at least for what these tools are capable of doing right now. One of the tools he, he includes in this gem is a calculator. And so you can sort of see, hey, I need you to add, multiply, do this or that. Uh, now all the language model has to do is construct or articulate what the user is asking for, basically just interpret it. And then the calculator side of the brain can just execute the calculation uh, in, in a more formalized way that's less likely to make mistakes. Anyway, that's really interesting. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, thus concludes news. I guess that's all. All we really got. I didn't read a lot of news this month, week. What day is it? Back to entertainment. Picks, recommendations. I don't know what to call this section other than this is the stuff that I am using to consume my time when I'm not working. Uh, foundation. I mentioned Foundation last uh, last time around. And I said season one was really slow, just like people said it would. And then season two, I finished as of last night. Season two picks up the speed. I got to say that a lot more things happen. I don't think those things mean anything. Now, I haven't read the book. So like they mean something, I'm sure, in terms of how much of the book are they getting through uh, books or whether they're deviating. But boy, it just feels like the note said, do more stuff. And then they, they, the production team answered by doing more stuff. But like, I don't feel any more feelings. If anything, I feel less about these characters because they're coming and going so fast. And like, you know, people are cryo sleeping and, 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 and times zipping away left and right. I don't know. It's, 
maybe hmm, I never got into like Lord of the Rings. Like there can be such a thing as too big of an epic. Like I, you know, I, I don't know how much world building I need. I like world building as a set piece. I like world building as like, Hey, it would be really interesting to a day in the life live in this world. Like one of my favorite scenes from Andor, a show that you should actually watch. Andor is probably the best star Wars, probably the best star Wars thing I've ever seen. Actually, in terms of quality, just going to put that out there. You know how to email me. Andor is so good. My favorite, one of my favorite scenes in Andor is there's a character just like eating cereal with some green milk and getting yelled at by his mom. And I was like, sold. I want to, I want to, I want that kitchen. (laughs) So I like the slice of life stuff with world building. I like it as a backdrop, but when the epic history of the world becomes the point, you lose me. So foundation you burnt i don't know i'll keep watching because i don't value my time but don't don't pick it up unless that sounds great to you world building for world building's sake a tv show that i have enjoyed the crown final season i'm not a royal watcher i really don't care very much about the royal family uh but the show's good it's well produced the final season's been kind of like all bangers they like really thoughtful stuff stuff about just making you think about life, um, mortality, you know, relationships, uh, unspoken needs that people have really digging it. Also great soundtrack to, uh, listen to if you don't want to get a lot of work done, you just want to be sad. Uh, but, but like epic sad. So yeah, crown, uh, crown is also a great show to watch if you have relationship struggles of your own, because you can watch this family and be like, you know what? I don't got that fucking bad. I'm actually a pretty good guy. So all things are relative. Uh, Video game pick of the week. I've been playing a little bit of Moonlighter. Moonlighter as in a person who moonlights. And uh, this game's hook, it's on Game Pass, Xbox Game Pass. So you didn't have to pay money to play it in my case because I subscribe to that pretty excellent service. This game's hook. You are, you've inherited a shop in a world where people like to fight in dungeons, uh, like, like fantasy world. Again, not a huge fantasy fan, but that's kind of like what's on the order in most uh, video games. It seems like these days. So it's a fantasy tropey kind of bullshit world, but you run a shop and I love the idea of economies and games and you could just set the prices. In fact, when you get a new item, you don't know what the price is. You have to just do a wild ass guess. I think that this elemental core is worth 45 gloop glops and you put it for sale and then you get to read the facial reactions of the people who buy the product. And it's, they can either do angry face at one end of this extreme, like where they're so pissed that you priced it so high that they leave and maybe don't come back or super happy face at the other end where it's clear that you've just been taken. (laughs) And, uh, I love that. And then there's, there's gradations of faces. There's like, I think five faces uh, that they can make. And the ideal face is like a just barely happy face. (laughs) Like, yes, this is fair. Mm -hmm." You know, not neutral, just like a little happy. And so that's what you're kind of, as you price one of these products, two of these products, three of these products of a given type, you try to calibrate dial in the price. And if you flood the market, once you've figured out that price, then of course demand will go down. 
really interesting game. Uh, then the reason the, the name of the game Moonlighter that comes into play because at the end of the day after your shop is closed, where do you get your inventory? Well, you also fight in dungeons, and so you go out to the dungeon and you kill some mobs, some, some creepy crawlies, some monsters, and you collect their their dried goods products that emerge from them after after they have been slain. Uh, that you put them in your big bag. And then you try to escape the dungeon uh, with 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 your loot so that you can put it up for sale the next morning. Great game. Fun game loop. I don't know that I need it anymore. I, I, I played it enough to be like, that's what that is. I don't know. if I don't know. Not there's no narrative, right? There's no like maybe there's a I don't know. It's fine. Maybe there's a narrative. Uh, another. OK, moving right along, because how are we doing on time? How are we doing on time? You got you got places to be. Hour and seventeen minutes. I'm I'm self conscious this week about how long this podcast is because some of you think it's too long, and frankly, my reaction to the first episode was this podcast wasn't long enough. We'll get to that. Last pick of the week, uh, YouTube channel, which I am apparently late to the party too because there's like several million subscribers already. It's called You Suck at Cooking. And it's a guy with a sense of humor and a, you know, seemingly mediocre apartment uh, making food and then making fun of the making of the food. Uh, I like a sense of humor. It's lighthearted. Also, like the food is good. And Becky bought me his, he, he, he you know, because he got to monetize if you're an influencer, bought me his actual hardback uh, cookbook for my birthday. And I was summoned through and like there's some good stuff in there. Uh, so, so great sense of humor. I love people who do a useful functional thing and maintain a character or a persona while they do it. That's my jam. So if I was going to make a cooking podcast that was sort of satirical, I would do this one and you can see in it, if you're familiar with the, the form, you can see certain, uh, tropes that he is, uh, highlighting and lampooning in there. Uh, lots of fun stuff. I think what, what I liked the ramen noodle one was great. The uh, grilled cheese was good. He has his own little terminology for lots of uh, little, uh, ingredients and so forth. And I don't know, it's silly fun. So you suck at cooking. That's the YouTube channel of the week month. I, I feel like this podcast wants to happen weekly because most podcasts seem to. And I, I think that it's, I, I keep saying week. But I don't want to make any promises. That's it. I'm, I'm commitment averse. I don't want to be hurt again. So email me. Prove that you won't leave me. Especially if I miss a week. All right. Uh, mailbag. Let's go check out the mailbag. I Oh, speaking of mailbag, speaking of not feeling abandoned, holy crap. I got like two dozen emails. Two dozen emails with really good questions. So... Thank you for that. I know I, I, I followed up a few times, um, soliciting emails, but you're, you're, you're all, you're all true friends to me. That's for sure. Everyone who emailed great emails, great questions, some very long emails, some more appropriate to podcast length emails. I'll just give you that, that little heads up. (laughs) He says at our, our one minute 20, (laughs) just pontificating. Hey, keep those emails short. I don't, what do you think I'm made of time here? Sorry. 
Uh, lots of good emails. I'm not in so many emails. I'm not going to be able to get to them all today. So I'll keep some of them in here. The ones I don't get to, but, uh, don't let that stop you because the new stuff goes to the top of the pile, I guess. So that's a uh, podcast at Searles.co. Uh, Searles is spelled like pearls, but with an S you might recall. Uh, let's get, let's see what we get through. And then, uh, and then I'm going to get thirsty <laughs> and, or want a second sip of water to avoid gurgling into the microphone. What do I think about difficulty settings in games? Mark writes. Thank you, Mark. Uh, what I think about difficulty settings in games, speaking of valuing my time, like I'm mostly in it for the story or for the, like the resource accumulation loop. So if it's a resource accumulation loop game, like a farming sim, uh, actually I like the fact that usually those don't have difficulty settings. So like there's some veracity to the economy, you know, if I, if I was playing a, uh, something like a, a farming game and it had a difficulty setting, I wouldn't even know what to do. I'd probably stick to normal unless it got to be really hard. Uh, but I'm grateful that it doesn't because it makes it feel like the world has weight and it's real. I think that when, when games are aggressive and having lots of difficulty settings, I feel like it's, it's taking something that is an incredibly difficult thing to balance, an incredibly difficult thing to design and for which difficulty and design and activity and all, and the whole gameplay loop are so intertwined that if the first screen that you show somebody is, okay, do you want story mode, easy, medium, hard, super hard, challenging, extra new game plus or whatever, you're kind of just giving the user shit work to do. Like, I don't know. Like the answer is it depends on like 55 design decisions. I don't know fucking know what you made them yet. So like how, why, why are you making this my job is my reaction is how I feel about difficulty settings in games as I 100% of the time will pick the story mode, the easiest mode possible, because if you uh, made difficulty settings in your game, then I disrespect you and I want to get through your game as fast as possible is pretty much how I feel, <laughs> especially if it's a scary game. I get scared easy. I, I When I was, let's see, I was in, how old was I? I don't know, I was like seven or eight maybe. And I was at a friend's house and Mario three had just come out and we're playing Mario three. And we're like a, one of the, one of the Bowser's is in, in world eight in the end. And I, my palms were so sweaty, so sweaty. And I, I realized cause there were other boys there. I think we were all boys. Yeah. And some of their hands weren't sweaty such that when I was done playing my turn, people would be like, Ooh, gross. The controller's all sweaty. Justin's gross is what they would say. Uh, and that's when I realized that not everyone is, has heart palpitations when they're dealing with a challenging video game thing or scared of failing or scared of dying and having to restart or just scared. Uh, but I feel like pretty, pretty, I get amped up on fear playing games, uh, just even normal games. So scary games, like it's a miracle that I beat resident evil Four. speaking of games that I don't believe had difficulty settings originally, uh, with the GameCube, just cause it was such a good game, but that's the only like, downright horror game i can remember playing through to completion uh dead space uh recently got remade and actually uh i'd always wanted to try dead space because uh, it got such good reviews as being like an excellently designed game but it was so scary but it had like such a cool design there's like a holographic menu that your little duder can like pull up and do things but like when you're in that menu time is continuing to pass and so like bad alien duders can come and slice slash dice you 
while you're dicking with your phone, basically. It's a strangely realistic game now, 10 years later. So the Dead Space remake is on Game Pass. I tried that out. Uh, you will be shocked to learn that I lasted seven goddamn minutes, maybe, before I was like, nope, I'm out. This is too scary. I don't like the vibes of uh, thinking that there's going to be uh, dudes popping out of vents and, and corners of hallways. Like, I don't know. I I don't like my cortisol to spike. I don't, I don't like, I, I don't, I don't like scary coasters for the same reason. Like what? Maybe I'm more sensitive, but I'm also just like uninterested in being scared. Not my jam. Uh, next question. Oh, this question. I'm not going to attribute it because I got it from so many people. For those of you playing the home game, that was the second sip of water. Uh, breaking through the fourth wall here. I don't think I'm supposed to say that. I think I'm just supposed to be like man up, mute it, and then edit this later. But I don't got the time for that. Several people wrote in to ask, where'd you get that song? Well, I'll tell you where I got that song. The song, the jingle that you hear at the beginning of this program, and you will hear again at the end of this program, at least if I'm doing my job right editing this file, was commissioned. And I now realize I forgot to log into Fiverr and find the feller. I think his name's Riley. And I would like to link to... I would like to link to Riley. Uh, I'm not going to do this now. I am fight. Oh, yes. Found it. Riley H. It's a product called I will create a catchy podcast jingle or theme song. I paid for the standard tier. Uh, yeah, he was great. Uh, Canadian fella. He, I gave him the impossible task. I said, I want a really uh, catchy song with as many tracks and, and disparate styles as possible. I wanted to have like island, like steel drum vibes, but also some like jazz flute and also maybe like some sultry, like uh, a horn work at the end. And I want it to last 30 seconds. I want to, I wanted to, I think I said, I wanted to overstay its welcome. Uh, but I want it to be undeniably catchy. I want people to hate it, to cringe, to, to f say they dislike it in their head, but then just like want to listen to it again in their heart. I want them to look forward to this song coming up at the end of the episode to get them to listen to the end. And then every time that a new one of these drops, they're like, well, I don't really want to listen to this Justin guy anymore because he's a grump. But that upbeat, kind of catchy, weird ass, super long jingle song. Eh, all right. I'll listen to that. And uh, Riley uh, worked through three different revisions as I gave him increasingly <laughs> uh, uh, detailed feedback about me as a non-musician, how I would music it better. Uh, he was a good sport. And I think he did a great job. So Riley, Riley H, that goes out to you. Hopefully somebody else here listening to this is thinking I could use a jingle. I think everything could use a jingle. Everyone just make some jingles. Uh, next, next up in the email bucket. Podcast mail bag. Travis. Uh, friend of the show, Travis, says, do you still use rewind.ai? 
I remember you posted back in March of last year about trying out rewind.ai, and I was curious if you're still using it. I was thinking of using it as a way of augmenting taking better notes on a day-to-day basis. Ideally, I would be able to query it like, have I seen this bug before? Or what was that AI company that records your screen that Justin Searles wrote about last year? Which is a, that's a little bit meta, but I like it. Uh, look, I rewind.ai is a, um, what do they call those? Like a life log or life journal. These, uh, it was an imagined category of apps that is now becoming real, like basically recording your screen 24 seven, your keystrokes 24 seven, your audio 24 seven. Uh, every minute that you're at your computer, it's compiling all that stuff, compressing the shit out of it so that it can store it locally. Uh, and then it is, uh, making available summaries to you in the form of, you know, after it'll, it'll know when you're on a zoom call and it'll listen to the other people on the zoom call. Uh, and it will kind of with a wink and a nod, tell you, Hey, be sure to tell everyone that you're recording them one way consent, depending on what state everyone's in. There's definitely some hand wavy stuff from a, uh, wiretapping law perspective. Uh, and it'll, it'll, it'll give you meeting notes, you know, stuff like that. Notion, all these tools, I think meeting notes are one of the top things that they seem to provide. And the irony is, of course, most meetings don't matter and there's nothing worth taking notes about anyway. But like if a computer can do that useless task instead of a human doing that useless task, I guess that's a, a net win. Maybe we could just have fewer useless meetings and then that would be an even bigger net win. Rewind.ai works fine. Uh, I had fun uh, with it. Uh, on one episode of Searles After Dark, I was like asking it questions about the previous week and it got some pretty good answers. It was like, yeah, well, you know, like what was I doing on like Tuesday night a week ago? And it would be able to say, oh, you struggled with this and this and this and you linked it here. And so it was pretty neat. Um, like a lot of these AI tools, the the hit rate is just low enough that I kind of feel like the only reason I keep coming back to them is that I am hopeful that like it might be right. Like it's so neat when GPT gets something right, like really right like, whoa, it's actually intelligent, right? That is still so, um, that hits a dopamine pathway like so clearly that I'm like, hell yeah, that I will keep on coming back to the thing even if nine out of 10 times it turns out to have been a waste of time or, or worse than a Google search or worse than me just thinking and sitting with my thoughts for more than 10 seconds. And so that no, that, that's one part novelty, right? Like this is still a new product category. And so we're more, we're more forgiving because it's it's interesting and cool still. And it's one part being just a techie nerd who's really fascinated by the technology. And I kind of lump a lot of these AI tools together in that way. I think Rewind AI will get better. I think if you've got any privacy concerns about potentially recording stuff that you could be held liable for in the future, uh, if you've got, you know, proprietary information, client information or something like that, like I would not trust that your ability to like audit and attest that like you've purged it correctly is going to be uh, made easier by having it being constantly recorded. Uh, they, they make uh, certain, speaking of attestations, they make certain claims about like what they're uploading to the cloud and you can trust or not trust that. But really the thing that kills me is this is a product that could live completely locally in theory and yet is like 40 bucks a month to have any amount of functionality whatsoever. Uh, and at the end of the day, the best part of that functionality is just yet another wrapper over GPT-4. And at this point, the number of subscriptions in my life that are just wrappers around OpenAI's GPT-4 is too high. And it's getting higher because it seems like this is the path almost every single piece of software is taking. It's like, well, this software costs X dollars, maybe flat or X dollars per month. 
And it's going to cost more now, a lot more, because all of our new features are based on shelling out basically to GPT-4, and that is actually expensive. And so between the like, you know, I think as a, a turning point for software right now, we're just in this interesting phase where like zero interest rate loans are gone. So, you know, you got to sing for your supper. If you want to get funding, you have to actually have a business case because you've got to be able to beat making five and a half, six percent in a money market account to some angel investor. You can't just, you know, print money. There's that. And then for the first time since SaaS became a major type of um, uh, business model, there is a marginal cost to user acquisition that's non-trivial. It's not just like, hey, we'll throw up S3 and it's kind of like, you know, it's, it'll get more expensive as we get more users. It's a, wow, there's like a real cost if people use this software in earnest, like a real cost in actual dollars as opposed to cents. And I've got to charge for that. And I got to pass it on to them. But because it's usage-based, people don't want to be told, hey, this software costs a dollar per hour, right? Or like, you know, remember AOL used to charge by the minute. You get 200 minutes free a month, you know? Like that's, uh, that's how we used to go on the internet on my DOS computer when I was a kid. No one wants that. Users hate that. They want to be told, well, they want it to be free, but if they're going to pay, they want it to be a flat price. But if it's going to be a subscription, <laughs> they want to be told, all right, it is use all I want and it's $10 or it's $20 or it's $30. Just give me a price. Do not give me some variable pricing scheme because I already have a cell phone provider and hell, even the cell phone providers have realized that they can't really charge per usage and get away with it. Um, yeah, so that's my comment on rewind.ai. Let's see. Um, I can tell my voice is going. I'm going to ask one more here. So yeah, lots of email I have not gotten to yet. We'll save them for later, but also please send your own podcast at servals.co. Would love to hear from you. These emails all made my day. So even if I don't read yours, you made my day. I will read every email. I may even reply. And if you ask me to reply, I will reply. Neil, longtime colleague, Neil, who also ordered a Vision Pro. I will not out him by saying his last name, but you will be able to infer it if you Google hard enough. But this question is benign enough. He asks, have you ever been a car person? Do you have an opinion on electric cars? Also, the next generation CarPlay coming soon to, <laughs> to an Aston Martin near you, and I believe that Orlando may have an Aston Martin dealership, come to think of it, is fascinating. I think it will be the first Apple OS written to run on non-Apple hardware since Jobs killed off the Mac clones. Way to go, Neil. Um, I haven't mentioned the Mac clones, the gray boxes on this podcast yet, but yeah, if you were an Apple user in the 90s, you remember that Apple licensed Mac OS to third parties to make bad computers with. Uh, and that's kind of the theme, right? Is if you're running uh, CarPlay on a device, on a car, and it's not just like a projection screen from a you know wireless or, or from, from, a, from a tethered connection from a phone, if it's actually running on the car, then that's like a, a whole another kettle of fish. Um, it does take over more of the screen. I suspect that how CarPlay's next generation is really gonna work uh, is, is that the car will have to basically work as it is and CarPlay will just 
be a skin on top that provides kind of like more personalization, more style, maybe a better art motif because it's like Apple design and then more personalization from like your phone then layers that on so that the car will continue to function when your phone's not around just fine. But when it is connected, then you get your personalized heads up display and so forth. That's my hope. I don't know if like, you know, gas or Google automotive services um, is becoming so standard that I'm not sure where next gen CarPlay could really fit into that stack on more than one or two makes. And I know that makes are furious. They don't want to have anything to do with um, giving, seeding even more of the displays on their on their vehicles to Apple because they want to own the platform because they all foresee a future of autonomous vehicles where like, you know, you're, you're uh, paying subscriptions or in-app purchases and GM's getting a cut of that or they're making advertising revenue on your eyeballs. If you're not, you know, having to pay attention to the road anymore, there's going to be showing the ads left and right like that. They've got all, you know, these uh, visions of sugar plums dancing in their heads. So they don't want Apple to just like run away with the game and, and, and take that revenue from them that they believe that they deserve as the car maker. So most car makers are going to be reticent to embrace it. And so far we've only seen Porsche and Aston Martin uh, adopt it yet. And I think if, if I had to guess a third, I'd say that Kia Hyundai might, might pick it up just because it's a way to differentiate if no one else is doing this. Um, and then they, they will be effectively the singular of car makes. Uh, uh, whereas, you know, Ford, GM, all these other makes are going to continue to try to like figure out how to get good at software in the most inefficient bureaucratic enterprise software like way possible. Uh, and you and you could point at Rivian or Tesla as being good software experiences, and I have played with uh, Tesla and watched a bunch of Rivian videos, and I do not find those to be good at all. I find them ab- absolutely all of them to be miserable. The only experience that I have enjoyed in a car is CarPlay on a big screen. In fact, uh, to answer Neil's question, have you ever been a car person? No, I'm not a car person. I am a tablet with wheels under it person. So like last time I had to buy a car, I got uh, T-boned by an Ohio State student from the Ohio State University. Uh, She was uh, uh, in a state of stress because she, I I learned later as I spent two hours in very close proximity to her in uh, the summer of 2020, she uh, was uh, getting tested for COVID uh, and let me know that after two hours of (laughs) fast paced breathing in my face. Uh, Yeah. Uh, so my car got totaled and I had to buy a new car and that was actually a, a fortuitous time to get T-banged. Ugh. <laughs> okay. Now that was maybe too explicit. T-boned. <laughs> Ugh. I regret, uh, things. Uh, so it was a, it was a good time to get T-boned because it turned out that, uh, the car market was about to get turned upside down. Uh, and I had a, a coupon from my friend, Tim, who, who works at Ford. Uh, friends and family code so that I wouldn't, you know, I'd get to pay a set price at Ford if I, if I went with Ford again, uh, because it basically like removes the negotiation aspect anyway, but I wasn't, you know, I wanted to play the field. And so I remember I, I test drove a Honda, um, crossover SUV, like their, their smallest one. I don't want a big car. Uh, I tested a Lexus, their smallest crossover SUV. I did, um, one or two others. And I, all of my, I had like a 35 checkpoint list. Like I do. Okay. These are the things I'm going to check. And then I'm going to make a spreadsheet. I'm going to comparison shop. And like 27 of the 35 things were uh, CarPlay related, you know, like 
does it turn on immediately? Does it like, you know, flicker out at all? Are there any audio glitches? Does it support wire? Does it support wireless? You know, like I, uh, does it have a play, a physical play pause button, which, you know, you don't think you need until you realize that the only way to pause the thing is to either tell Siri to pause it with the, with the, the voice assistant button on the, on the wheel, if that even works or to start futzing around with the screen and, and find a play pause. Most of them don't have a play pause button. In fact, only the Ford Escape Hybrid 2020 that I bought did have a play pause button, and that was a deal maker. Uh, how big is the screen? How vibrant is the screen? Is the screen inside my line of sight? Do I have to like, like the one Honda that I drove, like you literally had to like look down at the glove box, like, like really far down and only to see this little tiny itty bitty screen. Like it was just nuts. It was not. CarPlay was such an afterthought in each of these vehicles. And I would tell the salespeople, I'd be like, yeah, the CarPlay implementation on this is gank. It's just garbage. And they'd be like, oh, well, you know, but yeah, you're totally right. And all of the people who are not buying this car are also saying that. And I'm like, yeah, I, I believe it. Meanwhile, I drive the Ford Escape. I'm like, this is an excellent CarPlay implementation. He's like, yes, this is better than all of the more expensive cars that we sell. And that's why this is the only one of these on our lot. And I was like, I believe that. So I bought it. And that's how I wound up with a black car in hot as balls, Florida. And, uh, which I separately regret, even though I did buy it in Ohio, I was imminently planning on being down in Florida. And, uh, you know what? The CarPlay implementation is so good that I don't care that, uh, my ass sticks to the chair 90% of the time that I sit in it because it's a hundred fucking degrees in there because it's just so good, man. Is that good? Uh, yeah. So anyway, am I a car person? No. Do I have an opinion on electric cars? I think that electric cars would be neat as long as they have a good CarPlay implementation. And that is an even slimmer <laughs> set of electric cars. Uh, so I'm my, my goal on electric cars, I'm going to wait until electric cars are very mainstream. Charging is everywhere. Everyone's on the Tesla-ish standard. And uh, they're affordable. And, and, and then I will get one. But until then, every previous car that I had, I've been able to drive for 10 years. So I'd love to just drive this thing into the ground and then I'll poke my head out in 2030 and see where we're at. Not in any kind of rush. Uh, although being a hybrid's nice because all I do is really like driving around the neighborhood kind of stuff. And so I, very often I'll, I'll complete entire trips at like 60 miles per gallon because so much more than half is, uh, on, on the battery. So that's pretty neat. All right. I fill up my tank, I don't know, maybe once every six weeks. So I don't know. It's fine. All right, let's call it. This has been version two, the Vision Pro pre-order edition of Breaking Change. Thank you for joining me. I hope you had fun. And if you didn't have fun, you are welcome to stop listening. But I encourage you to keep listening because maybe next time will be different. All right. Yeah. I'll see you when I see you.